This is the Oracle Podcast, and this is where your story matters. The table is prepared for you. Wishing you Godspeed. Glory. So, my name is Emily Cortez. I'm from Southern California, currently residing in San Luis Obispo, California, which is on the Central Coast. Um, and I am the Generations Pastor at Slow Adventist Church. Awesome. Um, yeah. I'm really excited to have the Emily Cortez. I'm going <laughs> to oh, give, no. I, I, I have to give, like, again, I, in my first year at Berman CC when it, yeah. at the time, that's when I, I got to know and I saw, I got to see you from afar because I was just a little freshman. So I was like, you know, nervous of all the upperclassmen. And uh, I just remember your poetry. I'm kind of curious, maybe this is like, I don't want to ask this too prematurely before yeah. we get into you unpacking, but like what brought you to Berman, even though you're from America? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, so do you remember Melody, Melody Alakis? Of course. Uh, recruiter for, yeah. So recruiter for, for CUC, now Berman. Um, so I knew Mel because she went to La Sierra and like, I, was, I knew her because she would help out in my youth group and stuff like that. And then, uh, CUC came to recruit at the Academy. I went to La Sierra uh, Academy and I was like really dead set on staying, uh, in La Sierra, going to La Sierra university, like doing that whole thing. And then Mel was just like, Hey, you know, uh, if you're an English major, you don't have to do math requirements at Berman. I'm like, what? I'm like bad at math. I really am. I really, really am. And so like blew my mind. And I was like, really? Like, I don't have to do math like at all. She's like, nah, like not at all. Like, that's not a thing. That's not a requirement for you. Like for the Canadian, like, um, education system, like you just do the classes that you need to graduate and like that, then you're set. I'm like, not going to lie. That was like 100% appealing. Also being from America, the tuition at Berman was like a lot more manageable for my family. So my parents are divorced. And at the time I was living with my dad and he was like helping me with my finances and stuff. And so I like, that was like really like the other really appealing thing. And I think lastly, uh, because my parents are divorced and they were really active in the church, I felt like a lot of people kind of knew like what was up. And I didn't, I didn't like know, I didn't like that a lot of people knew my business already before like they even got to know me first. Mm. Um, and so I was like, well, how cool would it be to kind of like go and start over and like, just go. Like I had never been to Canada before, like move in day at Berman. <laughs> like I had <laughs> yeah, never yeah. gone before. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So that was kind of how I ended up there. That's how you made the big move. Yeah. It's always, I think Berman, that's such a classic, like people just make these like choices and you're like, okay, I, yeah. guess, I'll, I'll guess I'll just go. And yeah. that's just how it goes. Shout outs to Mel though, of course, for uh, bringing you out there. Um, I want to ask a little bit about um, ministry. So you've been doing ministry now uh, for a few years, whether through just internship before mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you loved about ministry? What has been kind of uh, something like that's been hard to chew, wrestle with? I mean, yeah. I, like just, yeah, whatever comes to mind first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I've been a pastor for, since last August. So August 1st was my official, like, you're now a conference employee date. <laughs> but before that, um, I guess like ministry really started for me, like in high school, like I was involved with campus ministries and then I was doing poetry in high school. And so like, I'd be involved with like chapels and stuff like that. Um, but I don't think I started taking ministry seriously until like my very last year at Berman. 
where um, I was sitting with uh, Chaplain Cecile and like Chaplain Adam, and we were talking about like, well, Emily, like we see something in you that like, like, like basically like affirming me to ministry, you know? And like, I was like hemming and hawing the whole time. I'm like, nah, that's not for me. Like, I want to be a writer. I want to be a poet. I don't see myself being a pastor. But I knew like secretly since high school, I've always wanted to be a pastor. I've always wanted to be involved with ministry because there was just something so appealing to me about seeing like these, I, I mean, I grew up in La Sierra. So like I saw women pastors on the platform almost every Sabbath and or like either either preaching or, or being a part of the service or something like that. And like, I, I always want, like, I want to do what you do. Like, I love how you connect to people. I love how you make people feel special and seen and heard and like valued. And, and to add then a spiritual component to that was just so appealing. So it really wasn't until La Sierra where I joined the student chaplaincy team there that I was like, oh, like ministry is more than just like, <laughs> than like getting up and sharing a nice message. Like ministry yeah. is like, when when your your doormate um, calls you at like two a.m. because like they're struggling and they're mm -hmm. depressed and they need they need somebody there, you know. Yeah. Um, I think most recently, um, with being a pastor here, being a brand new pastor here um, in Slow, what's been the most probably like impactful in my ministry has has been connecting with people. Um, in kind of like unconventional ways, mm -hmm. uh, one of my one of my young adults, uh, he loves Dungeons and Dragons, and like I I love role playing games. Like I I play Dungeons and Dragons. Like I'm probably playing tonight or tomorrow night with my friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had never had a pastor. He told me he's like I've never had a pastor connect with me um, through this. Like they always think I'm weird, or they always like you know they will entertain a conversation, but they have no idea how to connect with me. And because you and I have connected through Dungeons and Dragons. Like, I want to ask you other questions. Cause like, basically he's like seeing like the validity and like, I don't, I, I'm not trying to like make you do devotionals. I'm not trying to like make you be more like um, active in church. Like, I just want to know yeah. what you do. Like, what do you do yeah. for fun? You know? And like him telling me, like, I've never had a pastor connect with me that way. And he's like, I don't know how long he's been Adventist, but like, it sounded like for a while, like mm. I couldn't imagine what it must be like to have someone see you for the first time like that, like and value you and what you're interested in and not like be dismissive about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think about all those moments where, and I, I always think about it for me, it was pastors. I had like three youth pastors for sure mm -hmm. who made it okay for me to have my own personal interests. Mm -hmm. you know like who was I mean, it wasn't like a weird thing it wasn't the, it didn't have to be something that was separate I could be Christian and still love video games I could be Christian and still love sports yeah. and like that's like the most like that was like life-changing for me and it was so yeah. subtle yeah what about what about things that have been kind of like hardships like what about that for for that side of ministry what is it that I, and I know for sure I, I mean I'll just be I'll be transparent myself is that I yeah. know when we work for it we can for sure have a long list, but kind of what comes to mind, maybe, maybe like just like, uh, yeah. Whatever. So like, not just meetings, but like, you know, like that's, oh boy, the bureaucracy. I didn't, I, no class gets you prepared for church politics. Um, I guess like the hardest part, um, and I, I really think, I don't, I don't think it's, um, like unique to my situation, but I definitely, I definitely, uh, think it's harder because of the pandemic. But I mean, I started my ministry in the middle of a pandemic, um, and I and because of that, I had a hard time connecting with my community here. Had a hard time making friends. Um, 
And it really wasn't until I was six months into staying here in slow that I like made my first friends outside of my church community. Um, because it's hard to be the, your friend and also be your pastor because I'm spiritually responsible for you too. Um, and they will never stop seeing you as their pastor. Like no matter how many times you tell them, no, no, like I'm not Pastor Emily right now. Like, no, you don't, I don't get a choice. I am always Pastor Emily regardless, even with my friends now. Um, so that's, that was definitely hard, is, is still hard, is trying to connect with people in the midst of a pandemic and not always seeing eye to eye on how we can be safe with each other um, is also really difficult because it's, it's lonely and, it, and, and loneliness will come in pastoral ministry, especially starting out, right? Because like you're still figuring it out and whether you have friends in the area or not, like you still have to figure it out by yourself. Like it's just you and God and like you hope you have a good mentor. Um, and so a lot of the loneliness factored into when I moved here. I mean, I found myself um, with like five hours like, at the end of my day being like, I did all of my work stuff. I'm prepped for this weekend. What do I do with this extra time? And like, I don't like, so I would, I would go out. I'd go and explore the local area. I went to the beach. I did walks. I did that sort of thing. But that's all solitary things. And I firmly believe we are not meant to be solitary creatures. Like we were made for community. Yeah, and yeah. that definitely has been such a struggle for me. Mm, yeah. Oh man. I think like that's such a, especially for anyone who, if, if you're a pastor for doing sort of, sort of even teaching uh, mm -hmm. as well, like when you have to do some sort of like leadership and like you're responsible of people yeah. and then you move to somewhere new, it's really hard to connect because people I think this is like one of our own things as humans is like we like to always put you in that light so you can't ever it's hard to be yourself you know um what have you found to like kind of even cope with that I, I think I, I I mean I know it's a process I'm still yeah, processing yeah, yeah. It, you know but what have, what have you found because yeah you're right even in the moments of like doing something fun even if you try to do something fun you still still might be alone yeah yeah um so every Sunday um, I, I like reward myself basically. And it's still like a solitary thing, but I'm actually, but it's me trying to be intentional with myself. Um, and every Sunday I go to a local bakery here, I go pick up some pastries and I drive myself to the beach. It's not far, it's like 15 minutes from where I live. And I just sit in my car. I usually bring a book. Um, right now I'm, I'm reading through Searching for Sunday by Rachel Held Evans. Fantastic book, cannot recommend it enough. Um, and like everything she's written. <laughs> Um, and intentionality essentially is, is how I've been coping is, is holding space for myself because literally nobody else will do that for me. Like I have friends absolutely who I can call or who I can FaceTime with. And like I said, like I play Dungeons and Dragons. So like I'm playing with my friends almost once a week, but, um, it really, it really has boiled down to how am I taking care of myself and what am I doing for myself? that um, I can be like my own best friend. And it's not easy. Like I definitely just made it sound like it is. It's definitely not. Most of the time, I don't wanna leave my house. I don't wanna leave my place. Yeah. Um, and then that like spirals into like, okay, well, I've been, in, I've been cooped up inside all day. Like I have to do something. Um, and finding that balance of like, I don't need to be productive in order to be worth uh, like anybody's time. Like I can literally just mm. chill, bring my switch to the beach. Um, hang out with myself, be with myself content in that. And then I can go and tackle the rest of what I need to. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that's, that's, yeah, yeah. that's a really good, I think for anybody who can feel, cause one thing about, I think adulthood is mm -hmm. loneliness. Mm -hmm. And like, no one ever talks to you about that. No one ever talk, makes it sound like that because 
Like I think when you're in schooling, there's community because you're around people. When you are in university, yeah, after that, you're still in a community. You you have, at least you're spending time where like you go to a class and you're there. And one of the best parts about like when you're in those stages of learning is that people are there to serve you and the people are there to just give yeah. you information. But then the second you, you graduate, second you end up working, you're in the working world, whatever it is, you're, you're, you're serving people, you're giving yourself up. And so no one ever tells you how like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of time where like no one's, no one's checking you, no one's talking to you. There's no group of people where you can just sit with them. And so you have to cope with that. And so I like yeah. that being intentional with yourself, making sure that you know that you need yourself to be good at least. Yeah, all of it. absolutely. Um, I mean, I want to ask you about, and this is what I love asking people this and I love hearing the different uh, stories, different journeys. Um, being an Adventist now, being a Christian now, what was your story? Tell us from the beginning, uh, like what, where did you, or like how, and almost how did it form? Like how did you become intentional with God? How did it become something that you were just following your parents or going with whoever to being something that you chose yourself? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I find myself having like the hardest time answering this question. So I don't know when it started. I don't know when I decided, okay, now I'm going to be intentional. Like, I feel like, and I, I'm sure this is true of a lot of other people too, is that I have my moments with God. So like, I grew up Adventist, um, like the kind of like multi-generational Adventist, you know what I mean? Like my great, my grandparents and like their parents were Adventists, that sort of thing. Um, but now in my immediate family, I would argue that I'm the only person who really has stayed in the church. So even though I grew up, even though I grew up Adventist, I mean, I, I'm the only one who goes to church also because it's my job, but like, even if it wasn't, it probably still be the same. Um, but I went to, I went to academy. I've only done Adventist education. Um, I would eventually like to get my PhD somewhere else, but like, you know, that's its own bridge I can cross. Um, and though I went, though I was involved in church, my dad was involved as a youth leader. Like I had examples of church everywhere and being involved and good stewardship, all of that stuff. Um, but it didn't feel like I was any different, I guess. Like it didn't feel like, oh, God's really got me. Um, and it, and it probably didn't change for me until I actually like got to college that I felt like, oh, there's some intentionality here now. Um, which makes sense, which tracks with like development and stuff. I'm away from home and therefore need to rely on somebody or something. Um, but it wasn't until, uh, my parents divorced that I think I started, um, being more, what's the word? Like, like interrogating God. Like I saw my parents as like good people, as like church people, as like, why would this happen to like, um, air quotes, good people? Like, you know, like it's that the odyssey, like we do bad things. Why do bad things happen to good people kind of thing? Um, and it took, <laughs> it took therapy and maturing to realize that it's not that they aren't good people. Um, it's that they're human and have human relationships. And like, yeah, absolutely. God, God has intervened in different ways for my family. Um, but it wasn't until I started asking like those big why questions that I felt like maybe, maybe God can be a talking partner and not just somebody I show up for. Cause that's different. That's super different. Um, I also think one of these like kind of big moments um, with intentionality and God happened when my grandparents died. So it's uh, this year, it'll be 
oh my goodness, it'll be five years since I've lost them. Uh, they died in a car accident on Christmas. Um, my family and I were across the country. They lived in San Diego. We were across the country in New York when it happened. Um, and like, <laughs> they were like head elders of their church, head deacons, head deaconesses, like involved heavily in their church and in their ministries. And like, if there was a reason why I was getting to heaven, it was because of their example. Like to be completely honest, like they were, they were the, the most like traditional Adventists. Like they were everything to me. Hey. Mm. Um, and just to share like a tiny story that just makes me, this just Go makes ahead. me smile. Go but ahead. when I told, when I told my grandfather, when I, uh, it's Lolo in Tagalog. So when I told my Lolo that, uh, I would be becoming like a pastor, like I want to be a pastor. Like I was really prepared for him being like, well, you know, like women can't be pastors, like all this stuff. Right. But he goes like, good for you. Just like super, like super excited for me. I'm like, oh, awesome. And the next time I had, I saw him, um, he, he told me, he's like, yeah, I told, I told my friends at church that you want to be a pastor. And they were saying, oh, well, you know, like women can't be pastors. And my, my Lolo goes, they make up like more than half of the population. Some of them have to be pastors. And I just like, I, I love that story. Um, but it, it really was, it really was when I lost them that I had to then reevaluate. Like I thought God, I thought I was good. I thought I didn't have any more questions. I thought like God and I had this ebb and flow of like, we talk and that's going to be good enough. And I'm going to be figuring out what that looks like and figuring out um, um, what it means to be a pastor and, and studying and all of that stuff. But uh, then I lost them. And then, and then I had to, I had to sincerely evaluate what, what losing them meant. Um, does it mean that God's not good? Does it mean that God doesn't care? Does it mean that God is absent and everything is just chaos? My friend calls it, we're just marbles rolling around in a pan. Um, and I can't like, I, I don't, I right now where as I am, like, I don't believe any of that, but like in that moment, in the middle of my grief, like I had, I didn't have answers and, and the grief only added to that anxiety of not knowing. Um, it, it really did a number on my family. Um, my brother, especially, he's no longer Adventist. Um, and I, I attribute a lot to that of, of not being able to answer that question. Um, it, took, <laughs> it took really good friends and really good pastors um, sitting with me and letting me cry and work through, and work through that pain um, because, because, because we're Adventists and because we believe in the second coming and because we believe that that um, they're asleep and and waiting to be woken up again. Like that beautiful hope for me, like saved saved me, saved saved that that perspective for me because I deeply believe that. I don't I don't have another I don't have, for me personally I don't have another choice but to believe that because I I know how they lived and I know that my God is so much bigger than than all of that 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 I can reconcile that for myself and I can only and I can only ever do it for myself. I can't do it for other people, you know and. And so after that, after I've decided that that's how I'm going to answer that question, um, and then my answer might change in a few years, who knows? Um, I I had a really hard time with um, my mother and her husband, um, and it was it really tested a lot of of my of myself. It tested a lot of how I view um, like good Christianity, I guess. Um, without getting into like into too much of it, um, he's a he's a professor at at La Sierra, 
and at different at different turns he's he's a religious studies professor and at different turns um he was like blocking me from graduating and i and at this point i had already decided like i'm gonna be a pastor this is gonna happen and he called me he um he called me into his office one day and he's like you're too arrogant you're too you're um you're never gonna be a good pastor you're never going to make it if you don't change everything about you. Um, and like, you know, like I'm loud and opinionated and will talk to people and like debate people. And, and, and it really, it really hurt. It really hurt because this was somebody who was in the divinity school who told me like, you will amount to nothing if you don't change everything about you. And I was like, God, how, how is it that you have called me from where I was to be here, to be studying here, to be, to be committed to learning more about you and, and serving you and being, and being a shepherd of your flock. How is it that every time I feel like I'm, I gain an inch, I get sent back a mile by stuff like this. Um, and God has always surprised me when I am at my lowest. God has always surprised me. When I lost my grandparents, God gave me these amazing friends amazing friends who I count as family now. Um, when, when my mom's um, husband said this to me, um, at the end of all of that, God provided a job at the, like, that I didn't have to rely on anybody else for, that I got by my own merit with my own, with like my own um, references and, and not by nepotism or anything like that. Um, and so the intentionality for me has always been like, I, are you here? And God going like, um, yeah, I've absolutely have been here. Like, look at what I've done. And then I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. My bad. Um, you know, like, um, often I feel, and this is so cheesy, but like, it's true. Like, I feel like Job where I'm like, listen, all of the crazy stuff is happening. All of this terrible things are happening. Where in the world were you? And God going like, were you there when I laid the foundation for all of this? Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you not remember? Cause you weren't there. So check yourself real quick. Mm. Um, and, and just like, and just trust in it. And I have the hardest time I have, I, I struggle with anxiety and depression and I have the hardest time letting go of control. And God constantly is reminding me of like, Hey, you asked to be here. You asked to, to, to serve me in this way. Do you really think that I would bring you and then abandon you? Mm. And, and that has definitely been a constant, uh, constant thing I have to tell myself I don't always remember I, I yeah. to be completely honest I don't always remember um but it's in those moments of like reflection um usually when I'm driving <laughs> or when or when I'm or when I'm walking around downtown but it's in those moments of reflection that I'm like oh yeah you're right you're absolutely right God like I like I'm sorry I'm sorry that I doubted you because you absolutely have brought me amazing opportunities and I've been nothing but grateful and then I turn around and then complain you know Mm -hmm. um so being intentional has been its own hard work it's been a journey yeah it's been a journey i have to ask though yeah emily how do you i guess sift between because i think in your experience and this is the experience of many people and uh i think like it's easy for us to attribute everything to god Mm. in the sense of like negative things too or mm -hmm. you know and I think like um people who maybe have a role in our churches people who have a role 
in being spiritual leaders, et cetera, in our schools, who can do things that are harmful. And yet um, it's easy for us to put that on God too. But how yeah. have you come to learn how to sift that and know, I guess like, okay, just because this pastor says this, that's not a representation of God. Even though just because um, this bad thing happens, this might not, this is not a cause of my good God. Like, how do you come to sift that? Mm, yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, I guess I have, I have two different answers. When it's a person and they're, and like they're acting bad, I guess, like that's very, that's a simple way to put it. When it's a person and they're acting bad. Um, and mind you, I just learned this. Like I learned this in like the last month <laughs> to be completely yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, shout out to uh, Pastor Dillis Brooks who actually taught this to me. But um, <laughs> I don't have to hold other people's garbage. Like I don't, I'm not the, I'm not a garbage person. I don't have to hoard your things. So like if, if, if someone is acting bad at the very simplest form, if someone is acting poorly, um, it is reflection on how, what they're, what they're going through, what they're feeling. And it's my job, not only as a pastor, but as like trying to be an intentional and mindful person um, to then evaluate like, okay, so something that has happened triggered you to answer, to, to either answer me this way or to, um, to do this particular action. And now I have to take a step back and remove myself personally from this, from the situation. Because if I, if I take everything personally, it's, it's just going to drain my energy. Um, and, and it has, it, it honestly has, um, with situations, like how is this not God's fault? Um, you know, I don't believe that God is responsible for every tiny bad thing or every tiny good thing that happens. I think we can praise God in the moment for the good things. Absolutely. Thank you, God, for letting me experience this. Absolutely. But with like the small things, I, I mean, we still have a measure of free will. We still, because someone chose to do this, um, this then is the result and it's painful, right? We live in a fallen world that's painful. In the ideal perfect world, we wouldn't have to experience that. But because we have free will, bad things absolutely happen. Is it a perfect answer? I don't think so, but it's definitely how I view the world right now. No, I like that answer. And I think um, it's important that we can figure that out because I think we're gonna deal with, especially on the side of the ones with people, now yeah. more than ever, I think in a time like this, we're seeing that there are spiritual leaders, people who are kind of falling short or, and it's coming in public, you know, people who yeah. are doing things that are harmful, who are, that is painful and is public now, um, right? And so that's, and I think that's skewing a lot of people. Um, like, oh man, if this is like, if this person was a representation of God, I don't want anything to do with God anymore. Like if this yeah. person what it works for an academy and said this or did this to me no way i want anything to do with this church or whatever right which is rightfully like makes sense to have that type of answer right but are we able to try to pull like identify that that doesn't have to do with god what who that person is who they were though they may have held a position that wasn't god though just be yeah. when they were doing those things i think it's also important like if you have like your personal relationship with god too like, then you know, then you know how God is, because you see how God works with you. And like, then, then I think it might be a little easier to then divorce the two ideas of like, how this person who, who's supposed to represent God, or who's supposed to have a really good walk with God, whatever kind of phrase you want to use there, um, is not representative of the God that I know personally. I think that helps too. Yeah. 
Um, I want to also ask, this is like, for sure, I just really, I, I, want, I need your opinion in this because yeah. um, I think now more than ever, um, we work Christianity and the world. Like, I just remember like growing up and we were always told like, you know, make sure you're in the world, but not of it and make sure you're doing this stuff and this and this. And it's like the, the church is this holy place that only brings healing and blessing and that's it. And the world is super dangerous and scary. Mm-hmm. But now it feels like sometimes when you look at the news, when you look at things that are happening, it's the other way around. Mercy. It definitely feels like um, that there's no, like it's easy for things to like, I don't agree with this in the church or I don't, this doesn't make sense anymore or things yeah. like that. And so how do you cope, especially in a, a position of spiritual leader leadership, how do you cope being part of it without necessarily, with having things that you disagree about it with too? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know how I cope with it. Um, I mean, let's just name, let's just name in the ways that, that in the general focus, um, the Seventh-day Adventist church doesn't agree with um, or, ordination of women, um, right? There's only some places that will ordain women. Um, their view on the queer community, the LGBTQ community, um, racism in the church, sexism in the church, which we can, I guess, group together with ordination. Um, I, hmm, I hold very um, different views on a lot of those topics. Um, not only because of my life experience being being a woman of color, being and being a woman pastor, but also having loved ones um, in the queer community. Like I have personal stakes and personal relationships that I have gotten to experience with these people that if um, I subscribed wholeheartedly to how the church viewed, viewed them, um, I would be a bad friend. I would be a terrible friend, you know? Um, so I don't know how I cope. <laughs> if, I, if I wasn't a pastor, uh, if I wasn't heavily in love with my God and my community, my Seventh-day Adventist community, um, I don't know if I would still want to be Adventist, you know? And I think that's very common for, for people um, who, who think that same way, because why would we want to stay in a, in a church that doesn't see me fully as a person or doesn't see me as qualified as a man? Um, where there's other denominations or there's other places who full-heartedly see me just as qualified, right? Um, I also think too that the church is getting better. I mean, I do. Um, I belong to Central California Conference and growing up in La Sierra, um, it was like almost like the boogeyman conference. Like you just heard like really bad things, like really like I air quotes backwards, um, like ideas about scripture or about like women ordination or like stuff like that. But since I've started um, my graduate my graduate work among these other pastors, um, they, I've just, I mean, my whole bias has changed because they were talking of they they were talking about the same things that I'm concerned about: racism in the church, sexism in the church. Well, well, I don't agree with how we've done this the past few years. How can we change? Because we're losing we're losing church members. Like, how can we shift our our language? Because this is this no longer serves us. Like, I was so surprised to hear them say, um, "I want to see more queer people in my community." Because my wife introduced me to her, like her two friends at work, and they're amazing people. 
And the churches did nothing but hurt people like that. And so how do we then shift? I mean, this came from other people's mouths. Like I was scared to share because I'm like, oh no, I'm going to be like the crazy liberal in the conversation. But like, honestly, there's other people in that, in that group who are just like, no, this isn't okay. Please teach us how to be better pastors so that we can fix this problem because we don't want to see, see, like, we don't want to keep seeing this problem. Um, And I have like so much hope for these pastors who, who are willing to learn and, and, and unlearn. You know, I think that's probably, I think that's probably a really good answer is I cope because there's people alongside me who are willing to learn with me and to unlearn some of the damaging things that we were taught growing up in the church. So there's hope, there's hope still. I think so. I really think so. No, that's encouraging. And I think that people need to hear that because um, the world is shifting and um, so that means it's time for things even in our church to shift if we want to be relevant. I think uh, having a gospel that isn't relevant isn't the gospel. And so I think what we need to do is be moving constantly to see what we can do to be relevant in a time today so people know Jesus. Um, Emily, thank you so much uh, again for your time, for your story, for your experiences. And it's been such a blessing for me just to hear all of this. Um, In closing, if there's somebody who's listening who is struggling and seeing Jesus in the moments that they're low, seeing God in the moments that they're low and they're going through it and uh, it's hard to find where God is, what would you advise them to start doing, to do to so that they can see him? Wow, wow. Um, I think what has worked best, um, just for me personally, is having a talking partner, of having somebody that you can bring this to, because working it out by yourself is so difficult, because then you have more questions, and more questions can lead to, like, frustration, but having a good, a a trusted talking partner who's going to hold that, that sacred space for you, I think that has to be just the best first step that anybody could take.